Hi, welcome to People. In times of great instability, discussions on productivity, creativity, and self-realization can seem misplaced and even tone deaf. This is why I want to remind our audience of our keen awareness of the chilling calamities surrounding each and every one of us. In our private conversations with friends and family, we too struggle not to veer toward an apocalyptic tone. We too are struggling to preserve our physical and mental health as isolation without a foreseeable conclusion extracts meaning from the things we once enjoyed and strived toward. And we are especially concerned with the long-term harm these conditions inflict on individuals, particularly children. No three-year-old should feel compelled to advise your parents not to leave the house for a brief stroll around the neighborhood for fear of contracting a mysterious illness. No doubt, we will hold the trauma of these times with us for the rest of our lives. But I don't think all of these observations entail that we should abandon open-ended conversation and basic human connection. That's why we continue to shoot the shit long after it's hit the fan. I hope this podcast can encourage people not to lower their standards for the definition of a good life, while the current outlook remains grim. This particular episode continues in much the same tone as the prior casual conversations between our two hosts. We talk about ageism, workplace culture, and how the education system treats children. After all, these are still problems many of us face daily, and as such, and as always, we hope you enjoy the episode. But before we dive in, we'd like to once again ask you to please rate and review this show on whichever platform you get your podcasts. And please connect with us on Twitter at PeoplePod2 or on Instagram at PeoplePod. And we've released the beta version of our new website, PeoplePod.org. Engagement with people like you is the only thing that keeps this fledgling podcast alive. A rating or a quick comment on social media may take you less than 10 seconds, but it keeps us motivated and justified in continuing on with this project. It's at the point where I think that ageism is permitted. Sure. Okay. That's why I think like young people are stupid. Yeah, no, I don't think that ageism, ageism is permitted. I don't think ageism really exists. I, I, like, I actually relinquish that. You relinquish that? I think it's just like, yeah, like it, it exists, but I don't think it's like a pernicious ideology that like comes through. Where it's like, if you say like, oh, they're just old, it's like, okay, that's technically ageist. But like when I, for instance, say like, oh, you know, I'm, dude, yeah, it's your grandma. She might say something offensive. And someone's like, that's ageist. Yeah, okay, so? It's like she's my grandma, you know? Yeah, yeah, and in a way she's like, like she's living separately. That. You can't excuse that because she's old. I'm like, well, I just did. But like, it, no, but I mean it is. Like, it's like, she. it's this separate time and you have to give people more grace. Um, that's why I give people grace these days when they say outrageous stuff. Like, Yeah, these are, these are, these are unusual times um, and you have to forgive people yeah, for getting true. caught up in... The mania. Uh, in, in, in a really toxic information ecosystem where there's more data coming in than can be processed. <laughs> I guess it's true, but it's just... It's, Why? It's just funny I didn't respond to that, though. <laughs> to, like, make it a little bit technical. <laughs> yeah. That's what I do, though. It might be because of, like, my job or something, but... No, I mean, like, that's... Yeah, that's entirely true. Yeah, I don't know. I think that when it comes to ageism... Ideally, the old people would have certain some amount of privilege from being on the planet for enough time to have established themselves. Yeah, you know, 
they're wise, they know how to manipulate the system to, to, to get their way, and they're kind of actualized. And I think that aging should incur some amount of benefit so mm-hmm. that you don't have to feel so guilty. But in America... Well, you get Social Security. Yeah, and other stuff, you know? Those are some benefits. Yeah. And it's coming out of my... Pe- no. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. No, starting with age is important. Maybe we can maybe we can start there and springboard. Well, when the thing with age, though, like, I do think that old people in America are treated poorly. Uh, they're they're treated as I think because they're not they're not good consumers of things that like you can't manipulate an old person into feeling say ugly in the same way that you can to Absolutely. like a young debutante and like but what you can do is sell them, if you go on Fox News, you see, okay, we're going to scare you into buying silver or gold, or we're going to scare you into buying all these pharmaceutical products. Right. Or we're just going to recommend these pharmaceutical products, some of which probably work, but it's kind of weird that I'm seeing that, 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 that you're it's seeing just a that different, at night. Yeah, it's just a different extension of market manipulation that we're also privy to. Mm-hmm. Mine just takes, yeah, mine just takes a, a, a different shape than that. Mm-hmm. Because, you, yeah, you can't get, you're not going to get, you know, my grandmother with, like, the most recent Nike sneaker. I mean, maybe the outlier, but you might be able to get her with, you know, um, as you said, like pharmaceuticals or a shake weight. Yeah. Um, a shake weight. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask, do you think that the the phrase respect your elders, it, it, it's, it's um, a symbol of a bygone era? Is it merited? Because I felt like growing up, I was yeah. always I was always angry at respect your elders. Yeah. Because I didn't understand. Yeah. As a child, I didn't understand why on earth I should respect what this older person has to say, and I think that childish attitude has maybe um, stuck with me a little too long, and maybe stuck with <coughs> people, other people my age. And now you're institutionalizing it. Yeah. Exactly. <coughs> yeah. Now it's just. I mean, I, I think it is really cool. Um, I don't know how well people across age groups age groups can work and cooperate together, like in the same office. I've definitely worked with people much, much older than I am. Yeah. And um, like, I always think it's fine, uh-huh. but there might be some resentment there. Do they think it's fine? That you think they think it's fine? Well, that's what I'm always curious. Well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think they think it's fine. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that I have never been invited to meet any of these people's families. I've never been invited to a cocktail party, to a well, dinner. I know. I know. No one has ever asked to get to know me as an individual. Yeah, but... Maybe that's too far. I th- but I think that maybe those people belong to that era where work is work. And you've come of age in an era where work is like an extension of... They're trying to make work more um, collegial. And, 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 and of course, you know... Per last episode, I think that's backfired, but um, they're trying to make work a, a more collegial environment. So you're anticipating that they're going to be warmer and going to invite you over for dinner. Yeah. And they could be really cool people, but um, they there is that disconnect of, of age yeah. where they came of age in the 90s and they are. Or the 80s. Or the 80s, or maybe the 70s even. Some people in the 70s, yeah. I worked with some people who are, you know. Um, it, it, it's just, I'm fine. I think this is just, we need to just sit and, and like, if we're going to have one of these, quote, conversations, we should sit and be real about it. Um, I'm happy with the division between work and life. 
if they're happy with it, then so am I, and we should all just separate mm-hmm. those two things. Then work-life balance gets way better. Mm-hmm. We're focused in the office. Mm-hmm. We do a little bit of BSing and a mm-hmm. little bit of there's a, like a little bit of I will screw over. I won't be as loyal to my manager mm-hmm. or to my company mm-hmm. because my my home is is my primary priority. My social life, whatever my side projects. But like I'm totally for different reasons than they have. I am yeah. totally comfortable with work-life balance, uh, a separation between work and life, and I think like that's something that we can all agree on. Well, what what are the different reasons? That's what I'm like. You you said for different reasons than than they, the theoretical they. Well, are we comfortable the older, with the what their reasons we talk about? I think we just kind of covered it. How perhaps they have a family, perhaps they have you know community affiliations and responsibilities, and for me, I have projects like this one and right. like uh, perhaps other business endeavors mm-hmm. and a social life and I'm working part-time on building a life outside of work you know right whereas they are trying to reap the benefits of the life that they have already built right yeah I mean you don't you don't it's good that you you clarify that because you don't want to set up kind of this you know an unhelpful dualism like of a, of a strict difference between you and them um, because they're just at a different place. I, I wonder, see, going back, it's like, I wonder, do they acknowledge that? Do they see that in you? Like, do they see that perhaps I was once like this young man? Like, that's why I'm like, you, you kind of like throw someone a bone, you know? It's like you kind of like, maybe you do take someone under your wing, or maybe you are a little more collegial because you recognize that one day, you know, perhaps 20, 30 years ago, there was a day where you were you. But the resentment, the I mean, res- yeah. The possible resentment of standing at eye level with a punk like me might make that type of reconciliation untenable. But I feel like that's just like a, I don't know, you I, you don't want to take on a neurotic posture of like assuming. I don't assume, like, you know, we all, I mean, I don't know about you, but I always have, I, I, I actually assume, I do, I assume the best in yeah, people. I don't, and, but. No, I'm just kidding. No, I really do. I hope I try to. It's, it's a difficult thing. Yeah, and it, I really it just, try. And it's okay. It's one of those things that you can just get into the habit of doing, even if you're disappointed again and again and again. I think it's what you should be doing. Yeah, because the thing is, it's going to happen. Like, if you restrict yourself by having a negative posture toward the world around you, then you might never get that bone thrown to you or you might Absolutely. never get that opportunity or you, you might get the bone thrown to you but you might miss the catch yeah but I mean I think even like for, I don't know growing up I, I think I was so sullen in, in, in school that I was like no teacher ever reached out to me it was insane mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. I think that is like I probably mentioned this before but that is one of the biggest surprises as I get older and you know to the age where my friends are teachers and it's like of course I would reach out to the troubled child. Yeah, know? that is that is interesting because I, I feel like at least as you see in movies and, and TV, like there's always that, you know, those kind of rebel students, not rebel or depressed or whatever, but, you know, always movies that kind of pigeonhole these characters, but they're perhaps creative, but they're, you know, depressive type, what have you. Mm-hmm. They, they have Sometimes they have a special relationship with the teacher. You know, I can probably list like five movies off the... I mean, one really good one was Terry. Did you ever see that one? The guy who lived with his uh, grandfather. His grandfather had dementia. No. And he was an overweight kid. I forget. His Jacob something. And 
uh, who's the guy? The guy who played Steve Rule, John C. Riley. Uh-huh. Uh, plays the principal at the school, and he's also going through a divorce, and yeah. it's a really amazing movie. Yeah, no, and it's that's one of those movies that got like six point eight on. Um, it's on the, it's one of the sleeper sixty-eight percent or something. It's not a sleep. Yeah, well, sleeper in the sense that people don't. Yeah, the people sleep on it. Yeah, and I thought it was stunning. Like one of probably top top twenty favorites, maybe top thirty. It's really difficult. Those movies are difficult because you go on IMDb and then you have those movies that are six point eight and they deserve to be higher, but there are people like you and me that keep them afloat in that rating system. And then you find something that is similar but looks questionable. It's at about a six point two to a six point four and you want to give it a chance. And then you give it a chance and it's one of the worst movies you've ever seen. That's the problem is that there's there's a distortion happening where there are these and, and a lot of the like I would say Terry is like it's like an art house film, you know? Yeah. It's like, it should at least get that clout, but because it has a positive message, it's just, pass, yeah. it's passe or something. Sure. No, but I, I don't know. No, I think it's just, as you say, it's just a sleeper, but it's one of my favorites. I think it's great. Well, this is, it's like Jeff Who Lives at Home, which Jeff, is which is probably about the 7.0 7. range, maybe to 7.2. I think just like the the mysticism and symbolism in that movie, Yeah. like it, it definitely does go another layer deeper. So maybe that that buys it like an extra point five or something. I mean, I hope so. Uh, people also like the the writer and director, but that, that we're, we're, I don't wanna, I don't want to sidetrack onto the initial point was that when one thinks about balance between this is this is some a thread that's going to come up, I think for the rest of my life. But when one thinks about the balance of life and work, you know, you have to like recognize like I growing up with parents that both worked full time. Yeah. I never, never realized all that they had to do to balance, you know, the demands of a work life until I started to work. Like, until I, until I kind of came of age in a culture that required, you know, required work, required a sense of, it's such a strange thing to balance because when you're in college or what have you, or um, even in high school, you know, if you're, you, you think that you have to balance things, like you really think that you're doing a delicate balance, but it's just a balance of like, doing your homework and chilling. And sometimes they're the same thing, you know? Or sometimes you don't do your homework and you, you know. Yeah. But when you're an, not when you're an adult, but when you're working, um, you recognize that there's there's far more that you have to juggle. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the a grass is always greener scenario. And the, the big problem that I notice with people in their late 20s, early 30s, who are perhaps, you know, still maybe they're I mean not still but maybe permanently in a research position if they're a scientist uh, mm-hmm. working for a university that kind of thing these folks they have a, a, a just around the clock commitment to work and it's just what what you find is that it's 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 not more or less work I believe I think it's just a different schedule and sure you know when you're in that world I remember when I was a student uh, me and my friends used to always talk about um, I can't wait to work a nine to five because then I will have my time chunked so mm-hmm. that I can I can completely relax yeah. when I'm not on the clock. Well, that tomorrow never comes because right now I'm on call. You know, at my right, job, sure. like, or even if I'm not, you know, maybe I didn't finish my work and maybe I'm at home at seven eight p.m. Um, yeah, and so so that I mean, is a myth. The grass is brown on both sides. Yes, it is. It is. It, it really is. And that, that, I think that's the sobering realization that marks the transition from kind of 
out of college excitement to am I going to make it to 30? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, I, it's, I think that at first there's this, it really is easy to sink into a funk and keep, like, stay there. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of, or maybe it's not, but well, I think it is. Well, why, uh, why, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the example of, like, you know, people leave college, they start working. Maybe that new schedule, just like any new schedule, you're committed to it and it's working. And maybe you have these new friends and you, you're excited about perhaps living in a new city. Uh, if you graduated, you yeah. know, prior to COVID and, <laughs> uh, or something like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like maybe you go for drinks after work and you have that energy. I remember it was so cool. Like I, I remember, you know, going to work and then coming home and then knowing a couple of people in my neighborhood walking to the pub or something like that. And that was delightful. But then, you know, six months to a year in to that job. I was tired at the end yeah. of the day, and I never left my house. I was like, I am a shut-in now. And you have to resist that. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great temptation. Yeah, I mean, it's not even a temptation. It's like it's the equilibrium that you will fall into, and then you turn around, and you're like, where'd that year go? Oh, yeah, I spin it inside. Yeah, right? it's like, oh, I worked, I worked Actually, 60 no, hours worked, a week. Yeah. You worked and then spin it inside. Yeah, and then because that, that, that's a day. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but like, for me, like, four hours of work a day is a lot. Well, the thing is... I, I could be happy with that. You know you know that I've been returning to office space lately. And I, I think, you know, in, in my return, um, I don't work in an office environment. Um, to say what I do is work is, is perhaps a stretch, just generally speaking. But what Peter says in his... Peter, the main character, says in his sort of... Um, consultant interview with the Bobs yes about um, how much work he actually does a day yeah I mean I think that's true I think really you don't do and this is the this is the strange kind of tension of this now working from home because I was listening to the radio to be scattered um, but I was listening to the radio and they were saying that people are working more efficiently from home because they're actually spending the time working this this was a study that, that was was cited right and that stressed me out when i associate myself with work i take into account the necessary breaks the necessary zoning out the necessary after lunch looking like i'm working at my desk but just zoning out for an hour like what he says in the movie office space yes that's what i associate as part of the function of an office i i think that's deeply baked into the office culture and mm -hmm. maybe there's one or two people who are able to get back to work you know pound is kind of weird i mean like seeing people in the office pounding a red bull yeah I, I just remember feeling so weird about that like that that's kind of out of place i feel like i'm at some sort of like grunge concert this I, when you see an adult with an energy drink it's it, like it's a, it's it's, a, it's disarming you turn the sound if the sound's off you you hear Pearl Jam, like you, you know. <laughs> well, it's just true. And there's nothing wrong with that. Imagine being like, like a man with your shirt tucked in, going to a gas station. I mean, you work in tech, so no one's wearing a tucked-in shirt. But you know, you go to a gas station in the morning before work, and you have a, like a, a monster energy drink. Mm -hmm. That's an embarrassing thing. That's like, I think it's so easy to develop heart problems. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like when when you're stressed out and you're working that long. So when you talk about zoning out. Zoning out, I think, is a key, especially after lunch. It's a key, like, 
your body's digesting, you're processing, you know, okay, well, they will come up with an algorithm if, if COVID and everything else doesn't kill us. They will absolutely come up with an algorithm that automates away even the automator's job. And at that point, good. Like, let's come up with other great ways of spending our time because I, I have no qualms with just being able to work on side projects all the time. The thing you said about work from home yeah. that I wanted to reflect on was sometimes I feel like when you read these studies, okay, well, working from home is more efficient. Um, you know, working 30 hours a week or taking a day out of the, out of the week is, 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 is more efficient. Sometimes I feel like there's this narrative of whatever is counterintuitive or counter to the way things are right now, there's a study that proves that that's better. Yeah, and, right. And pr there's probably a reason for that, that. They're trying to, I think, I, when, I, when I hear that, I think they're trying to coax you into like, their productivity model. Mm. Like when I hear that, it's like, like if productivity is like because what's interesting about listening to that is not the study not, isn't necessarily about worker well-being or about um, you know yeah like a holistic approach to mm -hmm. like the, the health of the worker but it's like it was like well we cut down on building costs because we don't have to pay massive rent in a major mm -hmm. city on a building and our workers are more efficient mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like maybe they'll make like a joke like and they can wear their pajamas that's depressed. All of that's sad. That's dark. Yeah, it's because horrible. people like I have heard at the very beginning of this lock-in because I've been working from home uh, more hours than I did in the office. Exactly, which, which is par for the course. Which right. is a, that's another counter narrative thing, or you know, counter uh, yeah productivity narrative thing. Uh, th there was a guy who had some great recommendations. He said, "Well, one thing that I would do if I were in your position." And this guy is a coworker. He said, one thing I would do if I was in your position is I would take a shower in the morning or whenever you take a shower and I would dress as though I'm at the office. Mm -hmm. So wear something clean, mm -hmm. uh, comfortable, but, but presentable and, uh, and, and, and have a carved out space and basically try to create an office in your home. Well, I, I don't really have a home conducive to an office. I mean, right now as we're recording this, mm -hmm. we are in my dining room, which doubles as a music room, which doubles as um, a workout room, which doubles as my office, mm -hmm. which doubles as, you know, my it office. It goes beyond doubling. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, the, it, it serves probably six to seven purposes. And I'm sure a lot of people are like this. And I really think that for probably most people, we want freedom more than anything else so we will always opt for the work from home option yeah uh and we're lazy so we're always we'll always try to obtain that freedom but we're not going to be as happy working from home as we are in the office because we are going to be in our pajamas all day mm -hmm. feeling very poorly about ourselves and we're going to be working way more and we're going to feel like oh it's it's 8 30 in the morning i have to roll out of bed and get to work sure. because i you know that's what work is. I mean, it, it's a fire under your ass and you got to get going. Mm -hmm. And if that fire is burning constantly in your, in your living room or in your, sure. in, in your dining room, that's kind of an uncomfortable fire to have in your house. I think that's true. Um, th that's what I was going to say. It's like that suggestion is all well and good. And I think there's, there's, there's benefit, you know, there's obviously wisdom there. Right. But I don't want to pollute my home with a workspace. Not to say that work is like inherently going to, you know, um, 
Yeah, not, not to say that work is inherently problematic or there's not merit to it. Of course not. But I don't want the association I have at my home, building memories, you know, with a partner, with children, all of these things, right? Trying to cultivate home life, domestic life. I don't want that to be polluted with, okay, well, now I'm going to, like, I don't want to use any space of my home to carve out like an office where I can really buckle down and work mm-hmm. because then it ceases to become my home. And that, like, that is, um, that's troubling. I think conceivably you could have, especially if it's your own product that you're building, I think there would be that sense of ownership where if you had maybe more space in your home, you didn't live in a one bedroom apartment or whatever, maybe you could actually carve out an office in the basement or like on a different floor. Well, do you remember my, my old my old house? Yes. You had an office. I had an office. Do you want to know how much I used it? Zero. It's covered with clothes. Pretty much, yeah. Either covered with clothes or even when it was clean, I didn't use it. I mean, I used it to play piano or guitar. It's a cool, it turned into a music room just like it, this. Exactly. And I had all my books. I had a desk. I had a lot of things there. All this to say, there were a few things I did there work-related, but that's only because I absolutely had to. Mm-hmm. And if I ever had like something significant to write or research, I would just go to the library. Or I would go to a designated workspace. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Because I didn't have the association with, or the temptation, in my opinion, at least, and perhaps my, my attention span isn't as great as others, but you know, when I see a beautiful nylon string guitar and I'm doing something arduous, it's like, well, I guess I can just play guitar for a little while. Yeah. Like, I need to not have the association. Because what I, honestly, I associate my home with fun. Mm -hmm. And I want to continually do that. And if home is not fun, then it's not home to me. Yeah. I know that sounds like saccharine, but I mean it, you know? No, I mean, fun is one thing. Like, I don't think we need to define fun. Like, it's forgiven. And, like, the the projects, like, that that you can create. There's a guy, I'm friends with this one guy who, he's in his 60s. And he is my mother's neighbor. And there are some people in that neighborhood, from what I hear, mm-hmm. who work from home in, in these rigorous jobs where they feel like they're bringing this like corporate like a emblem into their yeah. house. Yeah, sure. And then there's this ornery attitude because he has a more lax schedule. So he's working inside half the time. And ha- half the time, he's, he's, he's in his yard with his shirt off working. And he, looks, he probably looks really good. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> No, he, he is. He honestly is in good shape. incredible shape. Wow. But uh, he's... Not me. He's one of the guys who inspired me to try to get in shape. But the thing is, he has this job that's rigorous and everything, but he works on his own schedule. Yeah. And then he's outside, whether he's building something out of... He's, he's, he's working with wood, or he's doing landscaping, or he's building, you know, he's building a fence for so he, his kids have a place to play. Mm-hmm. Or like, he's he seems to me, from what I observe, he seems like he's happy when he's working outdoors, that for him is fun. Sure. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, especially I think as you get older, I get that. like I love having a bunch of projects around the house. Mm-hmm. I'd love nothing more. Well, than the pro- that. a yeah. project is in, in my estimation, a project is different than work. Like if I'm going to build a shelf. Yeah. Or if I'm going to, you know, plant snow peas. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I was just, that was, you know, I was giving me a sugar snap. Sugar, yes, snap piece. All right, don't don't. We'll cut that out because I don't. Do you? No, even don't, don't. Or snow peas exist? Do they exist? They absolutely do. I know. I was I was being tongue in cheek. Um, no, I mean like that's the a project is fun to those that are passionate about a project, and even if it's not fun, like obviously, 
you know, you're building a swing set in your backyard for your kid. It's really not, I mean, unless you really like working and constructing things and working with wood, etc. Honestly, you, go, you went to Ikea, you're just doing a few things. But it's just, but that's not fun, per se, at least to me. Some people that might be. I would like it. Yeah, yeah sure. But I'm like, I, that still isn't work. Yeah, no, still I mean, like there's, the, there's... it's a reflective exercise of me saying, well, that, that, I'm glad that I did that. That was a good thing for me to do. That was a fun thing for me to do. Because look, like, like, you know. It, it, a lot of it's trickery that you do. It, it can be trickery. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's this, I think. Is this something, whether it's building a swing set or whether it's, you know, on the other hand, me at home on my computer working for a company, am I proceeding from a place of internal purpose mm -hmm. or am I being pulled along? And I think that's like psychologically, that's those two things are you know, kilometers apart. Mm. Like just the, the fact that when I wake up in the morning and I have to go to my office, which is also my dining room, which is also 10 other things, I'm being pulled out of bed through anxiety over, you know, performance to achieve somebody else's dreams and goals and, and, and you know, product market fit and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Versus no matter what the hell I'm doing in my backyard, mm -hmm. I chose to do that. And it could be just the fact that I am like a prideful kind of I, I, uh, resentful of authority. Uh, I really like to 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 make my own way and, and to, to carve out my own time. Just like I, I found everything that Dan said on that idea extremely relatable. Mm -hmm. Like I am able to motivate myself if I chose to do it. And it's just like, you know, it's it also really connects with teaching. And this is this is like a hyper connected thing, but I want to go here because like I there's all these, you know, Buddhist and probably of all uh, religious traditions and uh, th there's there's this line of well you know you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink or basically like you have to trick so like koan and, and zen yeah. like you have to trick someone into learning something yeah someone will never someone can maybe understand it intellectually like and in, like write down the proof or write down the argument whatever but they're not going to enact it or, or act on whatever insight you're trying to impart unless they're walking down the sidewalk one day and it hits them. Yeah. It's like, you know, like like people who decided to quit smoking. They knew the data was in, it's been in for like a century mm -hmm. or you know, but maybe they smoked for 30 years and then one day they're like, "Wait a minute. This is my body," you know, and yeah. they, or whatever it is. A sense of realization. Yes. So I that that that's what I, I know I'm connecting two different things, but I think you have to it has to whatever you do I think you can cut out a lot of waste if it comes, that action that you're doing, if it comes from some internal impetus, you know? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I reject that in some sense. I mean, I just think it's, I, 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 I lack the, and, and this is often, I mean, this is primarily um, perhaps a projection of my own inability or self-consciousness, but I, I always reject the autonomous self. And I'm always, I, th I think order and schedule is good. And I have a difficult time fastening order and schedule for myself, which makes me, which makes me skeptical of, of the kind of freewheeling work from home mentality. Not to say that that's what you are, and that's not what Dan, well, I, I just want to say like, I yeah. think the, 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 the sages, like especially obviously spiritual sages, all follow a rule. 
they all follow an order. They all have a methodical planning to their day. And that's not to say that, you know, to receive some sort of enlightenment or some sort of fulfillment, one has to, you know, do Compline and, you know, do Compline and then Vespers and all, you know, or you have to, you know, um, garden for an hour and then you go inside, you, med- you know, etc. I'd love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go. Sure. Right. Like, it's like... But it is rigorous. It, a rigorous sense, it's, it's, it's freedom in the schedule. You, you discover a liberty in... Yeah. yeah. It, yes. So, so this, is what, this is exactly what I mean by trickery. And, like, whether mm-hmm. it's... It's like, I, I'm not in a position to really label, you know, the way that, the way that all of these sages that, that you're aware of uh, have, have built out their schedules. But from my perspective, I know that I need structure and I'm happier when I build that structure for myself Mm -hmm. because it gives me this sense that I'm propelling myself forward as opposed to being pulled along. And I think that there are absolutely whatever works for anybody. But I'm just saying Mm -hmm. I have to trick myself in a particular way. If I want to be super productive to some purpose, I'll have to come up with some narrative that I believe in in my heart and that I feel. Yeah. Uh, that 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 presents whatever task at hand as though it's coming from me. Mm-hmm. And and whatever that means, like That's of course, like I don't even think you need to believe in me, or you don't even need to, like you, you don't have to go there. It's just what myth do I need to have in my life so that I can be productive? What narrative, what story do I need to tell about my work, about my day, so that I can be productive, healthy, happy? You have to be able to believe that story and engage in it. But it, it eventually, like at the end of the day, it is a story. But it's a desire after something else, like, like they 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 speak of this as mimetic desire, like desiring that which belongs to someone else is what ultimately gets us to want something else. Like no one, no one desires something in a vacuum. No one desires something without desiring it. You know, you don't desire something out of just yourself. Is is the theory, right, Rene Girard? Not, you know, and in some sense, this construction of a narrative is a sense of desiring after a different person than that sounds like heady and like like I'm I'm like you know at, at, you know on shrooms, but like I mean like like it's, well, you are no, yeah no, exactly yeah I'm kidding just to clarify I'm not but no yeah I mean you know it it's it's like those kids when they're they're high they're like what if like your red is different than my red yeah which like. It, on, 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 Honestly, it could be on right? the face like that. That is a profound question. Yeah, but then they're like ninth, ninth graders or tenth graders. Yeah, and it's like what? Who is it who said beware unearned wisdom? I don't know, but that's cool. I mean, yeah, I, but at the same time, you know, when you're an adult, I think you can handle questions like that. That's just yeah. like that's like an well, the simple the, the simple questions are the best. They 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 say philosophically, um, you know, why is there being instead of non-being? What does it mean to be? You, these these things. They're, but they're, but you know, timeless. but what I was yeah, saying. Yeah was that you are constructing a narrative of yourself or a story for yourself that gets you to um, produce or gets you to get somewhere. And perhaps you don't even get to where you want to be. Is it like, do you ever find yourself not at the finish line, but you're, you're, you're chasing after the first place idea, but then you kind of have um, geared yourself to work towards first place. You're not going to quite get it and you're maybe going to end up third and then you're fine with it. Like yeah, you're fine yeah. with whatever, whatever spirals, whatever other storylines, kind of. To kind absolutely, of go that way absolutely. Like I want, I want to make it clear that what I'm describing in in building a purpose like this, it, it's I, I'm totally comfortable stepping aside, 
and admitting that story that I'm telling myself is to enable me to get through the day. It, you know, life never pans out as I've planned. And, yeah. and that's okay. And I'm, I, I accept that in, in, in this conversation. I accept that at any point. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole point is how can I go through my day without too much angst, without yeah. too much suffering, without too much. And, and frankly, I mean, I think autonomy as a human is that, that feeling of autonomy is it's more important to some of us than others. But for me, it's super important. And I think for all of us, it's somewhat important. Like sure. to have some sense of autonomy, period. And like you see this in, you know, studies of productivity. And in, in, I, I remember reading a study of, of productivity in, in, in different Nike factories in Mexico where mm-hmm. people allowed workers to uh, switch positions mm-hmm. and to get a holistic view of what the factory was doing and then to go and contribute, you know, present ideas based right. on the reflections that they had about the different modules that they they worked in and then they come back to their own job and they're more productive and happier and healthier of the mind and i think that like i think there's like there was a pernicious version of this i think where eleanor roosevelt even advocated mm-hmm. for women staying in the domestic sphere mm-hmm. so long as they can basically have a home ec uh, home, home economics education and intellectualize the homemaker position and right. if you can conquer it in your head then it's okay. And whereas, you know, they were still, women were still being seriously disenfranchised, et cetera, et cetera. Like maybe it's a step in the right direction. But I'm just saying like... But with the the Nike factory, like you're saying like they were able to, like, again, productivity is dangerous language, but they were able to be more productive because they kind of saw the importance of themselves in something greater than themselves. Like they they saw their necessary work in the larger scheme and they saw their neighbors work in a larger scheme that they might not necessarily get if they're just focused on um, making eyelets or shoelaces or I think I that's know. I think that's probably the biggest part of it. Yeah. Psychologically. And yeah. like when I say productive I mean like literally the factories produced more. Yeah. Well you Maybe with, they, maybe they're fudging the Yeah, thing. I was gonna say also with <laughs> with Nike, you know, it beckons <laughs> You know, labor laws. Look, I don't like. Uh, I'm not advocating. I, I think the whole thing is gross. It's just an interesting study because I've sure. seen it play out in my own life, and I've definitely spent years making widgets for other people. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, it's just like. I don't know. I mean, I wonder if. That story, <laughs> that idea, I mean, we we naturally are going to tether ourselves to stories. We're naturally going to hold on to certain things, like holding on. To, Desiring outside of yourself or seeing something outside of your immediate circumstances is what typically propels you towards the future. I mean, that's what I... But I mean, you have these stories or these ideas or you create a narrative that gets you somewhere else. But I'm wondering, like, how does that transpire for someone in, an, in a different life circumstance? Like, for instance, just to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning, right? You're at a totally different place in life than... Um, the person that started working in software in the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but did they... Peter from Office Space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he, he was in software development, which is you know, mm-hmm. really... Which makes it, you know... Poignant. Du jour, right? Mm-hmm. But the the idea is like, you know, so you versus Peter. Like, what does... Say Peter now has a wife and three children, and one of them is 
you know, in college. One's about one's already grad, you know, et cetera. Like, do, do they? Does Peter in this circumstance still have a narrative, or is his narrative now like, well, when I get home, I'll get to have dinner with my family, you know? Like, your narrative is like per se. I don't know. Give me an example. Can you give an example? Oh, I'm, like, I'm oh, like I, I feel like I feel like 15 minutes ago I I said story and I didn't really explain it. Uh, yes, yeah, it's cool. To, but I, I hope that the meandering has been silly and fun and I think entertaining. So. I hope so. I hope so. I, mean, I was I was entertained. Edits are always yeah. a possibility. Yeah, I I do edit a lot when we do these freewheeling conversations, even though it comes out like just as freewheeling as it. But well, what, no, I think there's I think there's there's narrative. They're, speaking of narrative, yeah. I think there's narrative here. But okay. like, yeah, so, so like what I... What the else? story is, like, do you construct, like, okay, for instance, everyone, not every, this is going to sound, this isn't true of you, but I'm saying, like, is it a story like, okay, my boss is out to get me today, so I'm going to prove him wrong by working hard, and then I'm going to go home and hang out. And, like, you realize maybe halfway through the day that your boss actually maybe isn't out to get you, and that he's just a dick, or that, you know, she's had a bad day. But you're going to still kind of in the back of your mind believe the story so you get through the rest of the day and then you get to go home. Actually, like where I'm coming from, that's definitely an example of it. But what I'm, what I'm saying <laughs> is extremely broad. Yeah, but sure. like Of course. Where I'm coming from, I think might be like a little bit darker. And I mean, I don't want to be dark, but uh, I think that it's a non-trivial task to be able to get out of bed in the morning and do something. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us... Um, and, and and we have many, many, well, I'll just say all of us have had those moments yeah. where you lose all purpose. And what is purpose but a story? And yeah. um, so what I'm saying is it doesn't have to be like an actual like narrative, like we're reading a, like, like a, a work of fiction or anything like that, or even like an intricate narrative about, you know, my boss is the enemy and I'm going to like literally like, you, you know, I'm, I'm playing you know, Star Fox 64 and I'm fighting that gorilla guy and it's an, like an actual right. boss. Yeah. No, no, I'm, d- I'm just saying like, if I'm out in the backyard building a swing set for my neighbor's children, mm-hmm. then I have told myself a story. For some like, reason they're in your backyard. Yeah, because I live in a triplex. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like, but the thing is, so I'm building, I'm building stuff for their children or grandchildren or right, whatever. Right, yeah. Okay. My neighbor has grandchildren. And, it's like the narrative that I built in my mind, like, I'm a nice guy. I like these people. I am going to build this thing. But really, the whole task at hand was, I need to get through this day. Every day is sort of a battle, you know, cliche. Mm-hmm. But every day is this, it's this uh, gauntlet that you have to, you know, take on and you have to conquer and you have to get through. It, it doesn't need to be the language of war or any or challenge or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it is... To, to, to take on a day when you live in a free society where things aren't like where, where the where the state doesn't make the whole narrative for you you kind of have to make your story about why do I exist in the first place and like that's really heavy especially if you're depressed and you didn't you know didn't put you, you have more often than not woken up and thought you know I didn't choose to be here like, yeah like it, it sounds ungrateful but like so anything well, yeah, that course. you do whether it's work for somebody else or, or, or whatever, like the story that you tell yourself is just whatever story that allows you to get through your day, whether that's a story of productivity, compassion, charity. Mm-hmm. But so, the, the, the difficulty with, with, with the story is that, you know, some stories are better than others. 
Mm -hmm. You know, like not all narratives are equal. Um, And there are some stories that are more compelling and some stories that will enable you to do things that are greater. And not greater in a sense of productivity or efficiency, but, you know, a a moral greatness, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of accomplishment um, that you wouldn't have had if you had maybe gave yourself sort of an adversarial or combative story. So, I mean, like, that's part of the discernment process of, of, of getting, I mean, yeah, not, I mean, not, not to be like, not to be, um, again, saccharine, you know, but like, what if your story is, because I think there are people that legitimately do believe that, you know, every day they have is a gift. And I know that sounds like silly and like something you would hear from a life coach. No, I think it's cool. But you know, like every day is a gift. Right, you're it given is. a gift. It is. It is. It and it's 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 telling that I have a difficult time saying that. Right, but like yeah, you know. But that's it, part of the part of the reason for this podcast is yeah. Should I wait until you finish to make this point? No, no, please. I'm saying part of the reason for this podcast. Somebody asked me. Uh, I listened to your podcast because I used to have a comedy podcast, and yeah. people used to. Oh, okay. Well, it's ironic, and it, it was a satire podcast primarily, but like. Uh, Somebody asked me, you are still doing satire, right? With this podcast. I'm like, no. no. Yeah, it's authentic. And, and then I, I have this like desire to level up where I'm just like, not only that. So there was the appeal of irony, which prevailed like for most of our lives as millennials. Yeah. And then there's that like post irony. I'm, you know, either in college or getting out of college in the workplace, whatever, whatever. Like, I'm older. I'm in my mid-20s, whatever. I'm sincere now. Mm-hmm. I like what I like, you know. It's the recognition that the Goo Goo Dolls are a good band. I was about to say that. Yeah. That, what what sincerity is, is mm-hmm. I was literally, that, that that thought was on my mind. Yeah. So that's, that's Sorry, actually not, my not, not to, yeah, just, I had to bring that up. No, it's fulfilling that you know exactly what I mean. And then after that is the new irony. It's that, that's that, that's that third step. Sure. That, that it's like that new irony of where you're kind of like, you know, making fun of all of that. You're yeah. making fun of, you're older to the point where you're like, I have seen irony and like the shitty teenage angst and then I've seen sincerity and I'm just gonna, I make fun of it all. And that's where like good, I feel like to me like good comics come out. Sure. Where they're like, ah, I make fun of it all. Mm-hmm. Everything's up for grabs. And then after that, there's With the new sincerity. The, right. And that's where I am. And that's where I want to take like that's where this podcast I feel is and that's where I want to take our listeners and I, I'm ready to be there I hope you're ready yeah like, I mean like that do you understand what I'm saying absolutely I so mean it's, it's just it's, funny like yeah I teaching teaching students in their you know mr. mr. what do you, what do you like what 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 do you guys what do you do you know like what were you like when you know young when you're teaching these 16 17 yeah they're they're impressionable you know, in some sense, they look up to you. In some sense, so you, you, they don't. The audience doesn't know, but you, you, you have been a teacher. I have been a teacher in the past. Yeah, I'm no longer, but um, a high school teacher. A high school teacher. Yes, yes, I'm no longer a high school teacher. But essentially, I told them that like I, I, I was getting into like country music of some sort, and they're like, they think it's a joke, and I'm like, no, <laughs> like I'm like, no, it's ser- it's serious, and I'm like, you guys are gonna be like in ten years from now, that song you heard on the radio that you thought was good, but you suppressed it because you said, oh, this isn't cool, or I can't like this. Iris. Precisely. Uh, in 10 years, mm-hmm. you're going to hear that song again when you're in CVS, you know, <laughs> picking up a prescription, and then you're yeah. going to go, 
Holy shit. Then you're going to go on YouTube and you're going to watch it and you're going to be like, these guys are so good at music. Yeah. What, what was I like, thinking? I'm going to learn this guitar riff. I'm going to figure it out. And then and then you'll move into that, that post-irony and then the post-irony irony and then... And then it's like a you, strange, it's a strange cyclical, but I think that's just what it means to be human. But I think at this point, like, it, I feel like it's so early, um, you know, the human life isn't that long. I feel like it's so early that I'm not even thinking in terms of cycles yet. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, we actually are building irony on irony on irony on irony. And that's why, like, I feel like we're at a good spot at that fourth level, you yeah. know? And you don't want, you, you, it's a comfortable space. Well, it's just the space that we're at right now. And yeah. I want to see, like, who else is here? Like, because... what if we're present within the space right now? Yeah. And intentional about it. Isn't it silly to say that we're intentional about, like, irony? You know, I don't even know what stage of irony it is. I've gotten lost. Is it the post-post irony? It's actually, so I think it's, I think it's post-post-post because it's like, so you're back to sincere. And like, so I, I mean, I'm not going to like, I'm bad at logic and stuff, but I think that's right. And if I missed one post, then forgive me, but I'm yeah. pretty sure it's true. But they don't teach logic much in school. So yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's considered this like God gift, this gift from God. But I will tell you, I took uh, discrete math and, and, and theory of computation and propositional logic and that type of thing. And as a dumb guy or like, you know, yeah, as like, like as a regular, someone with a small brain, like a regular person, okay, you know, yeah, sure. Like uh, you can hear me struggling to talk. Like, it helped me big time, you know? Honestly, I wonder, like, I, I, I see some of these schools will, you know, the, these, these, they're, they're privileged enough to get these really nice private school educations. They're, they're teaching these students rhetoric and logic at, like, a young age. Yeah. Like, like sort of like in, like, like, in, like a move from antiquity, you know? I'm like, wow, rhetorician. You know, these are young kids. I think they understand kind of logical flows of, of, of not just argumentation, but also just... I mean, like that, that blends itself into, um, I mean, that, that, that feeds or bleeds into rather, um, mathematics and, and story and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, maybe I'm not as dumb as I think I am, mm-hmm. but that I just wasn't exposed to enough cool stuff at a young age. It, it ties back to the narrative. I mean, I'm actually going to jump back to something else that you yeah, said. Because, because, well, because it, it, and it'll help with the edit. It might, or maybe I'll just keep this whole thing in because it's absurd. How about this? Like, I'm thinking of a couple countries. I'm thinking of Japan, France, Germany, the UK. They all have some variant of tracking. Maybe the UK is not a great example of that. Mm -hmm. But they put you on a track, from what I've heard. Yeah. Where I am studying X. I am in the maths, or I'm in the engineerings, or I'm in the, 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 the... arts or the literatures or whatever business whatever and, and and you get on these tracks earlier on and I think that there's some wisdom in that because that's sort of what happens anyway like if you're in the American education system mm-hmm. there's this myth of autonomy independence you're finding your voice you're doing something entirely original because you're an entirely unique being I think strictly speaking that's true and that's a beautiful um, sentiment but I think you always have to balance um, guidance and direction mm-hmm with that sense of inner autonomy. Those are always two poles, yeah. that are like two uh, extremes of the pendulum uh, that, that, that you have to balance. And so when you, when you talk about um, not being exposed to cool things at a young age, not being exposed to rhetoric, to, to logic, to these things, I think a lot of American 
I don't know, philosophers of education or, or, uh-huh. or people who work in that realm where they're forming curricula, like they, uh, I, I, I think that they would, um, they would say, well, maybe you're molding the mind too much. Like the study of public speech. Uh, I think both of us probably had to do a little bit of public speech mm-hmm. speech in school at some point. You probably more because you stayed in school longer than I did. But like, still there, baby. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> and yeah, no, but like, this is important. But like, there are heuristics that you can use to be a better public speaker. There are rules. Yeah. But that if you teach those rules to a six-year-old, that might derail that six-year-old. Sure. Into you know struggling to find his voice so a sense of discovery then yeah so like you really do have to balance that and my impression is that kid's gonna find his or herself either way well i think i think compared you know giving especially education but giving kind of socio-cultural comparisons ourselves to you know smaller less diverse countries is is difficult you know our Amer- I, I i can't even though I worked in it, I can't even think to think to um, give. There are people that, that do a great job giving analysis to you know mm-hmm. the American education system, and there are also those people working in that field that I'm sure are are, are horrible. But I mean, I think that we do have tracks. They might not be as mm-hmm. they're not out out in front. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's not like oh, I'm going to go into medicine. Yeah. But you know, like it's pretty clear from an early age who the quote unquote smart kids are. Oh yeah, who the dumb kids are? Who who's in the good math class? Who's going to be on that track? Yeah, who who's you know a good speaker, a good writer, a good whatever. Um, that's pretty clear early on. The and, chosen people versus the peons. And I think that's absolutely not only is I mean because you have to you have to give kids credit for it. I mean give cre- kids credit where credits due, and you have to realize that they're a lot smarter than you think, and that they know at an early age that they're not. And that's like that is demoralizing for for a kid to recognize that they're, in some sense, not as as worthwhile as. I mean, of course, worthwhile as far as you know. Yeah. How they're viewed within the education system, mm-hmm. especially public education. Yeah. I think that's. I mean, right now I'm doing preliminary doctoral research at in history at a top university, right? And when I was in the ninth grade, I was put in a special ed history class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I had to go to the teacher and say, is this, you know, an on-level regular class? And he said, no, it's not. And I had to go to the school guidance counselor. And I had to, you know, get out of that class, right? I was put in that class not because my grades even. I was a, I was a really good student in history. Um, I even thought I was going to be in the AP class. I thought that maybe they would bump me up because all of my people in my class were going to the human geography, AP human geography. And I, I was like, okay, well, I have gotten A the whole year. I do well on all the tests and the projects. Surely I'll get bumped up. But it was a particular way that I was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because I was ADD. Maybe because I was just a little bit weird. But I was placed in that class that wasn't on level. And had I not, well, it didn't matter. But it could have mattered. I mean, I had, I had you know, we can talk about education more in depth at a different time, but had I not had mm-hmm. perhaps the courage or the encouragement of others mm-hmm. or the recognition that I wasn't in the right space, yes. that could have harmed the whole trajectory of what my high school experience was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really, really, it really hurt my feelings. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to ask you about. 
Well, I mean, it hurt my feelings, but it, it also hurt my feelings for for all of the other students in that class with me. Because there were the, there were other people yeah. that were me that were like, okay, maybe this kid, perhaps maybe they they there are there were of of course there were students in that class that needed that assistance and needed the help and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. But I, I didn't need it. Yeah. You know, and it's like silly to think about right now. But you know, like the pettiness in me wants to like send my dissertation to like my, you know, the teacher that that, that put me. You know, it's it's that it's that it's that kind of that ugly impulse but you know like that i'm I'm very very lucky that i saw that i wasn't supposed to be in there you are and that that you had the as you said that you had some sort of support right outside support advising you um encouraging you to ask for what you felt that you deserved richness of content academic rigor i don't know but but like i was going to ask you how that made you feel because the spirit is super, super vulnerable, especially the young one. 14, you know? 15, yeah. 14, 15. Oh, my goodness. You know how easy it is to break that kid's spirit? Oh, it's so easy. I'm, I'm so fortunate. That you forget. Honestly, is, thank God. Yeah, really. And, and, and that, that's why like a lot of it is, is matters what's going on at home. And if you right. don't have that support group, say you're, being, you're, you're, you're in a public speech seminar or something sure. like that, or you're in an English class and you're in the yeah. public speech unit... And somebody in your teacher tells you, okay, like, you have violated this principle of charisma. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're, you're thinking, oh, okay, so, like, I'm just, I, I should just keep to myself now? Like, I can't yeah. do public speech, so I should keep it to myself? Um, and then you go home, and perhaps you have a family who says, no, you're just a little different. You know, you just need to, you need to uh, sharpen that up. You need to... Uh, let that ferment or whatever analogy uh-huh. yeah like you need to figure out because once you get older that weirdness and the, like this is what i would say to maybe a teenager mm-hmm. whatever whatever peculiarities you're 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 given grief for in school uh, or even at home the world becomes weirdly tolerant my co-workers i love interacting with co-workers in a way it's, it's painful that we, none of us really chose to be here 40 hours a week, but it's also nice because you have to listen to my jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you're, you're, the audience is it's there for you. Those people will listen to your jokes. Like, your voice, like, never, like, never let somebody tell you that your voice is too peculiar sure. to be heard. Well, I, I think that like, we... Think about Kanye West, for instance. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a, that's, 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 that's a, that's a fine example. Um, yeah, I you know I don't know enough about Kanye West, and we we've talked about his business ventures and how he's more qualified to, you know, be a presidential candidate than. But he's a very peculiar man. Yeah, his his communication style is very unusual, and I think there's a high likelihood that like probably some maybe like some of his high school teachers, a, a guy like that, maybe some of his high school teachers said like, You're a, you are not a charismatic fellow. Well, I had I had more than one just one teacher in middle in high school mm-hmm. that thought I was. I was not good. Yeah. Uh, not worthwhile. Yes. The problem is, I don't know what it is, but the, the education system, and, and maybe this is just because parts of the education system haven't changed with a culture that now it's normative to go to college, some sense of university, right? Mm-hmm. It's now normative to, you know, not serve in the military. It's, it's like maybe our education system, uh, I, again, I don't know enough about the philosophy of education and, and 
you know, the way in which curriculum and districts are shaped, all these things. But I do want to say that, like, the education system doesn't make room for the late bloomer. Doesn't make room for the peculiar kid. And I think that's what I was. Yeah. And, and, and it, it, it makes way for this culture of, you know, the chosen few who have this chip on their shoulder or they have this, you know, this, this grievance against the system where they're like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to stand on the stage, whether it's stand-up comedy, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, literature or oration or, you know, yeah, sure. probably not politics, but like forbid, anything right? short of that. Yeah. You know, anything short of a popularity contest. Um where you're kind of, your thumb's on the scale because you're like, no, you need to listen to me. Mm-hmm. Like anything like that, um, well, it's, a lot of us, and I feel like America is particularly tilted in that direction, um, where a lot of people who really deserved to be heard were put on, because we talk about how people are put on tracks in different uh, education systems around the world. Uh, in America, you're put on this like normal, like this bell curve. Yeah, and it's just like, well, no, I'm not. I'm not anywhere there, and and because I'm not anywhere there, I'm I'm regarded as just not worthwhile. I'm 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 stupid. Like whether I'm way high or way low, I'm just dumb and not mm-hmm. don't pay attention to that person because he's yeah. he's. But really, it's like it's like no, I'm. Th- this is like there's an x and a y axis, but maybe a lot of these kids are on the z or the the whatever. I I don't know math, but like. This is a multi-dimensional system. It's not like you, you can't... This is not a 2D thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's... I think that's... I mean, it is like... For instance, I'm not a, a student that's not an oratorical master. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, maybe that is something they could work on or maybe they haven't discovered that part of themselves. Their maybe, voice. Maybe they never will find the voice in that capacity, in that, in that one area. But the problem is that I found is, or, or that, I, that I witnessed, you know, autobiographically is... When you're told that you are um, inadequate in that area, you start to believe that your inadequacy or where you you lack in some sense bleeds into every other facet of, you know, your identity as a student, your interests, you know, and then you start to settle. It's a profound settling. Luckily, I was kind of, right. I was ripped out of that. But also, I wanted to bring this up. Like, it's not just those students that are peculiar that I think that has it has damning effects on. I think those students that are, are great students and are prioritized and are seen as great students and are good at everything and they're involved in everything, I think that can set them up for, for um, a lot of pain as well. I think people that, yeah. um, because, there's, they're, they're, they've, because they've always had an expectation placed upon them yeah. of a certain, and, and when they fall short of that expectation, it's, it's, it's incredibly hurtful. Um, it, it can be shattering to some people. I mean, you see people, the geniuses, right? Yes. These these prodigies in high school yeah. burn out in college, or, or or in late high school, or, or 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 later on. We can't think of we can't think of formation as it's kind of this stagnant. Okay, you got four years. We can't think of you know formation of the mind as just this like one condensed exercise, and then whatever skills or whatever you pick up right then and there will kind of serve you later on and you're going to always kind of be on this 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 you'll be there's there, there's sort of a sense of continuity you know I'm still the same great student I was that did this on the mm-hmm. SAT 
in 15 years from now, yeah. despite whatever problems are thrown my way. Yeah. And I think you, you can kind of construct it, just as one can construct the narrative in their mind that they're not good enough because you know, there, are, there are perhaps systems in place or people in place that um, are discouraging them. I think there are those, on the flip side, there are those that have been um, told that they're you know, successful, that they're brilliant, and, and then they are. I'm sure of that, I'm sure of yeah. that. But when they face something that their brilliance can't quite um, capture, their brilliance can't quite wrap itself around. Um, I think that, you know, they need to, th- that, that's where I think support comes in. That's where a recognition that, yeah. you know, yeah, because it, it, both of those can be profoundly isolating. Yeah. Story is crucial, even. Story is important because, like, how do you explain to a kid that, you know, a teacher saying that you, you have a s- serious deficit in, 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 in processing this style of information. Now, if you have a support group, whether it be a family uh, or uh, a group of friends, they can tell you, well, well no, you're just, you're, you're different, you know? You don't, you don't, you don't fit, you're, you're a square peg into a round hole. Like, you, you, you just don't fit. Um, mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's work on that. You know, let's, right. let's, let's let you bloom, like the late bloomer. You know, so many people are late bloomers. Especially millennials have this sense of individuality, many, many of us. And, mm-hmm. like, you see this late blooming where there, there are these people that are like, you know, this, you know, this finite set of careers. I took the career exam. Uh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't really connect with any of them. Isn't Does it- this mean that I'm going to be a loser? Like, the anxiety that mm-hmm. you and I felt when we took those career exams and like, Horrible. I remember getting, you could either be uh, um, an interior decorator, which is kind of close, cause I do like that, or um, a sanitation specialist, like a, like a janitor. And the thing is, those are both jobs that are okay, but it's like, those, how arbitrary is that? I mean, like that, that has nothing to do with the man that I'm going to become. And like, now that I can look in retrospect, I mean, there, there's nothing that's not even close. Like neither of those jobs are close to where I was destined to be. And probably the job that I'm working now is probably nowhere close to, you know, like you have to allow Mm -hmm. a human being room to grow and change. I mean, I just, just really quickly. Sure. On the flip side of that, it's like, I took, those, they're terrible. Those, I mean, they give them to you far too early. It's it's really really horrible. Sixteen. I took one when I was in middle school, <laughs> and and this is this is a sad thing. Is I had a lot of I had some trouble in, in middle school academically. Yeah. Uh, and I got, I kid you not, I got historian on my career exam. And we were supposed to do a project where we were write do do, kind of we go to the library, and. Also, the middle school libraries are shit. I don't know what research is to be done. All that sidetracked to say, I got historian, and I remember sharing it with my teacher. Unless this is some kind of sort of fanciful imagination I've constructed, kind of a narrative, if you will, or a story that I've constructed to um, to get ahead or, or do something combative or, or um, you know get someplace that I want to be. But I had that, and I remember it required you know a PhD or doctoral research, and then I, I swear, I swear. My teacher didn't believe that I could do it. <laughs> I swear, I swear, and that's like, so telling. My teacher probably is like, "This kid, no. Oh, look at me now." But you know, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but it is kind of like, 
I think by and large those I just liked war like I just like learning about like you know World War Two and uh, you know European countries when I was in middle school and I think that probably you know they pigeonholed me on that exam into that you know oh cool I like war I like you know France I like you know all of these things whatever um, and that's why I got historian I think those exams are entirely bogus I do mm-hmm. but nevertheless it's like well I was kind of excited I was like oh this is cool I could work it out like my initial thing was I don't want to teach college when I when I got this like it, I didn't even that didn't register I was like I could work in a museum and I could give tours about yeah. you know like because that's what you know a 12 13 year old well it would it, it, and I, you know if we have any listeners out there that, that uh, are, are the docents I believe they're called yeah I was um, about to say yeah please uh, please reach job. out to the pod um, email in the show notes but if you could uh, what was I going with that but anyway those exams are, are by and large bogus but you know I was legitimately excited about something and my excitement was was stomped it was it was spat upon I mean not to be you know like not that, that that's that's over dramatic but my excitement was like looked at with a great sense of incredulity yeah yeah there was a, a, a skepticism yeah you know like I bet you like I, it wouldn't and maybe in some sense it was dirt but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the teacher was like are you sure you just didn't like click random things you know <laughs> well yeah because maybe you're like an a, you're like an ADHD kind of student well I was I still am yeah so so there's this doubt uh, that the teacher has but but I mean the doubt that you know a 30 plus year old teacher has um, when faced with a with an energetic you know 14 year old is to be expected but there has to be higher calling where no i'm going to let this student discover his voice i'm going to honestly like we know as as kids like you've said this before kids are super smart they observe these things i observe especially because they're relegated to this space for like eight hours a day plus whatever you know of course we observe the adults We, we 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 study their facial expressions more than we study the material any sort of moment of disapproval is like, okay, I'm a fuck. The ability to get through a primary school education and have some amount of belief in yourself remaining, oh, I don't know. Is that like single digits percent? Like that, that's like a, that's like a 90, 90th percentile property. I was going to say part of the excitement for those that are fortunate and, and privileged to go to university Part of the excitement of going to a college is that you hope to maybe discover something of, of yourself or discover or, or rekindle. Absolutely. Rekindle something because you have this clean slate. Yeah. And then you kind of think that you'll be taken seriously. Yeah. And then you get to college and you realize, like, you know, you're not. But that's fine. I mean, you are. In, it dep- obviously, this is all, you know, I'm oversimplifying. But it's it, just. It, yeah. You never make it. But you also never what you you never you're never damned to whatever mm-hmm. category and well, yeah go on. I'm just like what is lost on, because right now we're adults. I've I've taught high school. What is lost on, and at all of the, uh, pardon me for being so scattered, all of the great teachers that I ever had growing up, recognized not to say that I was a great teacher, but they recognized the fragility, yeah, the impressionability, they recognized the kind of self-consciousness that their students had and they didn't use that against them but they used it in a way in which it, it, it fostered an environment of trust in the classroom 
um, they were able to see that, okay, he might not be good or she might not be good. She, she didn't do a good job on this paper, but she's not dumb. So if I, if I approach her in a particular way, mm-hmm. she's going to perhaps take this negatively and yeah. it's going to affect her outlook on her coursework for the rest of the year, right? What is lost on so many teachers? Because I speak of those teachers, and this is, you know, teaching's a noble profession, sure. I, you know, I don't want to diminish the great work people do. But why is it that I can count on one hand all of those teachers that were able to? What is lost? What is the, I can count on my hand all of the teachers that had that kind of sense of awareness in the classroom. What yeah. is lost? What is the transition? Like, yeah. Was it never had? What is lost on that, that teacher that, that now thinks it's okay to, do, you know, chide and deride and, yeah know, a, a, young, a young girl or a young boy in their or class? Or to just, like, like, silently judge in a way that the students will observe, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, of course, of course. So, I, so, I don't, so like, that, yeah. that, that's, far more, that's far more dangerous, I think. In my, in my experience, like, I'm hyper aware of the reactions I give my students. Yeah. Because I know, because I, I was in their shoes, I know what... When they do a poor job, and or they they didn't understand something, and if I even just subtly condescend, or I even just give a strange look, or I'm like, well, I know you're not going to amount to much by just the look of you know the look of my face, etc. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know how an adult could not be aware of the effect that they have, even even doing little things on you know impressionable young men and women it's 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 in in our best moments we we hope that adults are kind to our youth but to answer your rhetorical question i mean there is always the proclivity to judge as a human being and the more jaded you get based on your experience based on what you're going through um the higher the probability it is that it, that it comes out. So like, especially the fact that teachers are like, that, that's, that's a category of work where you're, you're, you're overworked and underpaid. Yeah. I think that's absolutely you know, 90% true. of the time. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a brutal job. It really is. And, and especially like you say, you're, well, I don't know, you, you taught for a short, like a, like a, a short window of time and you're moving on mm-hmm. when you see that burnout turn into jadedness turn into I will allow myself to judge these people yeah. um, on, on, on first glance even if that person is 11 you know mm-hmm. we're all just humans and jadedness translates toward hyper judgmental attitudes translates yeah. to I'm going to say something or make a I'm going to make a facial expression uh, that will injure this this student's soul this student's morale that that might not go away, in in whatever capacity I can through empathy and through you know having peers who are working their job. I understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. and what they're doing. You know, re- breaking a kid's spirit, it's bad. But being an being an adult, part of becoming an adult and becoming a professional is having a certain degree of responsibility. Um, you might, you know, wreak serious damage on, on, on the world around you okay so i want to forgive like like breaking a kid's spirit through a dirty facial expression when you were depressed one night you got you got drunk and then you were hung over one day and you you were ugly to a particular high school student that's not the worst thing that you could do it's yeah. really bad 
but it's 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 not like it's not like you're an irredeemable human being. I don't yeah. want to make it seem like the bad teachers that are in my my life, like those people are just deplorable. Yeah, of course it, not. It, 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 you can't come back well, from that. It's like no, we need to have empathy toward those people in the same way that we they should have empathy toward us. Yeah, I mean, just just a quick response to that is to say that it's it's difficult because I you know I I, I firmly believe we have a greater propensity to judgment than we do. Um, empathy and forgiveness but I mean I mentioned earlier kind of that evil impulse within me that wants to just like oh I'll send I'll show them like this I'm going to show them I'm going to send you know Mr. or Mrs. McGillicuddy or whatever um, a copy of my dissertation or I'll thank them in my acknowledgments but like that's 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 horrible right it's like what real forgiveness is in that capacity is not reaching out and saying hey I forgive you It's it's recognizing that you know that they're human, yeah, and it, they they have experiences that have shaped them, and perhaps they had a bad day, perhaps they had a bad year, perhaps they're not a good teacher, right? But that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that yeah. they're you know they're they're dignified in their humanity, and that there are probably so many beautiful things that they offer so many people. So, um, yeah, my to my um, yeah to my tenth grade history teacher, if you're uh, out there listening. Um, I, I do forgive you. Mm-hmm. We underestimate the children around us. Like, I remember being a kid probably because of, like, the episodic memories of disrespect. Yeah, but there there is that dialectic where it's like kids can process a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And there are things that they're sh- they should be processing that they aren't. Mm-hmm. And there are things that they shouldn't be processing that they are. Well, and yeah. that, like, that, that's the, 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 this, the difficulty is discerning. Yes. What can, what will will be beneficial? What will be life giving to this eleven year old? <laughs> and what's something that they could, like a, an eleven year old can process their them losing a parent. Oh yeah, they can. Oh, yeah. But do you want them to? Well, of course that's an extreme example. But I'm no, saying that they have the, the emotional t- yes. ca- they have the emotional capacity, the emotional intelligence. You know, it's stunted, of course. You know, like in in some sense, but they can process things. There are like this is this and this extends past eleven year olds because there are things right now that I can process or that I could learn, but that I don't necessarily need to be doing. Yeah, like there's a lot of that. Yeah, and like we're like overwhelmed with things that everyone wants us to be doing at all the time, all times, and I think one of the greatest it's it's like that it's it's you're it's almost like a a, you know you're you're going back to childhood. One of the greatest things is is recognizing that there are things that you. You could know or you could do that you don't need to do. Yeah. And I think that's like a liberating experience when, when you recognize that, um, no, or, or it's, it's in the same, pardon this kind of rant, it's in the same stream of just being like, being okay in saying that you don't know that movie that someone else is talking about. Okay. Yeah. It's in the same stream of, well, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. But it, it's like, yeah. I mean, to, to call back, but it, it, it's in that, it's in that same kind of, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, Accepting that you don't know a whole lot and that there's a whole lot to... You, you said this. You said that you like admitting... Was it you? Someone had told me recently they like admitting they don't know things because there's so much that they can learn. And like that's I mean, kind I of definitely, a... I definitely, and I can talk to you about... I mean, I just had, I just had a conversation with, uh, with my manager about this idea. I don't like looking stupid. No one does. But mm-hmm. I will look stupid if... If, if that's what's required yeah. to, to get to the next step of my learning. 
and it's okay like, to look stupid. And, and and how about like it's profoundly like just don't so don't judge the person who stands up and looks stupid, and um, it, it 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 comes from a place of the thing is it, it, like, like all of this negativity this this sort of um, judgment that we've been talking about whether it be a teacher or a manager uh, this this sense of my uh, inferior my subordinate is less capable than mm-hmm. I am and therefore mm-hmm. I have the right to judge this person it comes from a state of whether whether it's inherited from your past whether it's going on right now in your present it comes from a position of a, an internal inferiority complex I think yeah to be to be unkind to yourself is to be unkind to those around you mm-hmm. and that's one of those things that you you, you, you can't get around it's not about it's not about oh you know you love thyself you know like have a moment of self care take a take a take a bath with bath beads and, no that's and, that's and, not that's but, meaningless no 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 this is a matter of like truly being forgiving to the person that you are at this very moment so I, I, I think you need to have you need to have like a friendly redemptive story that you tell to yourself whether or not you know your your mentors and teachers and authority figures. Uh, and part of that, this is respect your elders. This is respect your elders, but I'm an elder now and I respect myself and therefore I respect the youth. I right. mean, it, this is a very full circle important. You, you must recognize the goodness and truth that is there. So, and I, I think when you have that, that moment of realization, that recognition, it makes forgiveness, it makes growth, and it makes friendship and relationship so, so much easier, mm-hmm. more natural. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's the purpose of a story, right? Yeah. It, the, it, it the, cuts, it cuts away, it, it chips away at the brick of, of jadedness. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there needs to be purpose, there needs to be impetus, there needs to be, and, and it's all driven by the story. Like, I, I know that it's yeah, just like, no, I'm like, it is. Home Depot, down, 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 Malcolm Gladwell would agree. Malcolm Gladwell is coming on the podcast next week and uh... hey everybody it would mean the world to us if you would rate, review, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify we hope you stay in the loop get connected with us maybe recommend future guests through our Twitter at PeoplePod2 again that's at PeoplePod2 we're also building on our new website peoplepod.org, which will provide for you context on prior podcasts, information on guests, and some of the topics we've covered, as well as a tab where you can donate to the podcast and what we do. We finance the podcast through small donations from our listeners, so we're grateful for every penny you send our way. With that, I hope you have a great day or night, great week, and I hope you'll join us next time on People.